we've reimagined our space to help you maximize yours. Come discover the next generation container store at Northwest Highway and 75. From easier to shop aisles to our amazing custom closet design center, it's a whole new experience. So get ready to master the space lurking under your bed and hiding in cramped drawers and closets. Get ready to discover the next generation container store at Northwest Highway. The Container Store, where space comes from. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. My guest for this morning is Catherine Jagadi. She is a British television presenter and an author with a background in science. Kate was first introduced to metaphysics as a teenager by her mother, a former yoga teacher and education specialist. She developed a penetrating and enduring fondness for the self-empowering teaching of Neville Goddard. And she remains just as steadfastly devoted to spreading his message. After postgraduate research at Oxford, Kate moved to Switzerland to work at the World Health Organization, where she developed educational resources for rural communities in sub-Saharan Africa. She has worked with the BBC Science Unit and BBC Radio Oxford and has served as news editor of the international journal Africa Health, for whom she conducted research trips and assisted in the establishment of a learning resources and study center at one of Nigeria's forefront teaching hospitals. Kate has been published in the internationally acclaimed science journal Nature. She has also presented two science series aimed at young adults for Channel 4 in the UK, earning a BAFTA nomination. Kate is joining us from London this morning. Kate and I will be having a conversation about her life's journey, passion for humanity, and her recently released book, Infinite Possibility, How to Use Ideas from Neville Goddard to Create the Life You Want. Good afternoon, Kate. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing this morning? I'm fine, Johnny. I'm so excited to be with you. Thank you. Fantastic. It is a pleasure to have you on the air with me. Infinite Possibility is a fascinating read. The book is very well written, easy to understand, and most importantly, it's very easy to apply in one's life. So congratulations for its release. Thank you so much. Let us get started in getting to know you a little bit better. Please give us a quick walkthrough of your life from childhood to the present moment. Okay, so I was born into a, a large family. I was child number four. Um, my parents were both professional, but they also had their own business. And I had a great time. Um, even as a child, I was um, someone who preferred my own company, but I wasn't isolated. I like to say that I was a very independent child and a child that was very creative, and as many children are. And I think for me, because I had brothers and sisters at home, I didn't sort of feel I needed to make those sorts of connections in the world around mm-hmm. me. But I was always interested in, in people. And as a child, um, I loved books. My mother introduced us to books when we were very young. We always had reading time, which is something I go into in my second book. And it was there that my relationship with literature really began. And one of the things I think I love about my childhood is that my mother made metaphysics, metaphysics and the philosophy of 
new thought and the theoretical mm -hmm. principles of existence, very much a normal part, a natural part of our literary lexicon, if you like. And so mm -hmm. I grew up um, around these ideas in a very normalized way. And I grew up in also in a traditional Christian home. So we went to church and all of that. And I was in the choir and went to Sunday school and played the music. But as I was growing as a child, I found traditional religion a little bit restrictive for my taste. Now, this is not to denigrate traditional religion in any way. But for me personally, I felt that the way that it was structured and organized and arranged didn't really suit me as a person. And I kind of had a, a, a struggle with that, if you like, and I went away from it. But I was able to replace that with, I felt, a much more fulfilling and satisfying system of belief for me, which was found in the teachings of Neville Goddard. And I embraced his work since my teens. I have embraced his work and I was I found it a very good fit for me. So somebody who's always creative and imaginative, I fell upon this philosophy hungrily. I just consumed everything that he wrote mm -hmm. and listen to all of his audio lectures and all of that. And today, and today I am sort of, I would say, the exemplification of the philosophy in practice, if you like. I am an example of what he described as being possible for people. And I am so honored to be able to share that philosophy with other people. Wonderful. Going back to when you were growing up, your dad is Jewish and your mom a Christian. So you have that wonderful flavor of religion, and I know you talk about the fact that it's structured and so forth. How about the rest of the family in terms of how you blend in religion and spirituality as one? I think um, my mom was very much the person who um, opened up our appetite for that. I think with, with mm -hmm. the Jewish faith, for those who are familiar with it, um, it is very steeped in regalia and pageantry and ritual, and all of that sort of thing. So for us, it was a kind of see but don't touch. You know, there was a lot you couldn't right. touch. There was a lot you couldn't get involved in. And it was a, a very serious and scholarly endeavor. Um, so for me, that fed my appetite because I loved anything like that. Anything that seemed mystical, I had an appetite for. And my dad did share some of the aspects of the religion with us but I think what my mum because of my mum's attitude towards spiritualism and she was kind of looking for what was good in everything and was able to I suppose help us to embrace the more fluid parts of religion if you like the part that encourages yeah. you to have your own relationship with God and all of that kind of thing because she, she encouraged that in us I think it all blended very well I mean certainly for my siblings I have a younger sister mm -hmm. who's still very much and her husband, they're very much a part of the church we grew up in, and others have drifted away. And I think she left it to us. She really wanted us to be certain about what we believed in for ourselves. And I think that's the way we've all grown in our different directions. I mean, my husband is a very religious man, but we still work very well together, even though I am mm -hmm. not as interested in traditional forms of religion as he is. Right, right. Very interesting. Years ago, Someone told me that it doesn't matter if you can imagine yourself running the 100-meter dash. It doesn't matter which lane you're in. The tape at the end of the 100 meters is just one spot. <laughs> and <laughs> you'll get there whether in lane one or lane eight. I love that. And that fits very much in what I, with what I believe, Johnny, in the sense that I believe mm -hmm. that our journeys are very much an individual endeavor. I don't think it's our job mm -hmm. to police one another, but that's so, so apt. That's a wonderful analogy. <laughs> so tell us about metaphysics. What is it all about? 
So um, the dictionary definition, if you like, is that it mm-hmm. is the theoretical or the fundamental theoretical uh, principles of some study. But I, in, in the context of what Neville teaches, metaphysics is the theoretical principles of everything in existence. So it goes beyond the subatomic particles that we learn about in quantum physics, for example, mm-hmm. and then talks about what the source of those very basic or the most fundamental units of existence are, what the source of that is. And we call that consciousness. And we say that consciousness is a substantive quality of man that everyone is born with, but that through the process of being born and learning to navigate the world around us, we actually lose connection between our consciousness, which is infinite in its uh, permutations, and we Mm -hmm. live in a very structured way within the confines of our human bodies. And so what metaphysics is teaching is how to reestablish that connection through some very uh, practical um, actions that one can take. And once that that connection is reestablished, you can then begin to use this, um, let me say, primordial substance of yourself, if you like, to begin Mm -hmm. to manipulate the physical world around you. So it's a study of what underpins everything that exists, the things that you can see and the things that you cannot see. So true. You basically is in control of everything around you. Absolutely. I think if you are able to reestablish a connection, you really Mm -hmm. understand that what we're talking about is the source creator. And if you reposition yourself as that creator, then you are in a position to start creating your own lived experience. Very, very interesting. So, Tell us a little bit about Neville Goddard. He's a fascinating person. To some, he's referred to as a prophet. Tell us a little bit about him. This is my favorite subject, and I'm, I hope I don't <laughs> take up the whole hour. Now, I'll be as concise as I can. So Neville is an, was an Englishman. He was born to an English family on the island of Barbados in 1905. And his parents, um, although they lived on the island, were not the sort of traditional colonial wealthy English family. They were a mm-hmm. family of very modest means. It was a large family, nine boys and one girl. And their family was prominent on the island, as I'm sure you can imagine, you know, uh, foreigners living um, in this way. And Neville himself was a very, um, I say, precocious young child um, and a child that was uh, very uh, confident in himself and and self-aware and questioning and seeking. As a teenager, he left the island and traveled to New York to pursue a career on stage. And he became a dancer and an actor and had some success, but not a phenomenal amount of success. But even this adventure didn't satisfy a hunger that had existed, as he described, in him from his youth. And he was very fortunate to come into contact with an Ethiopian rabbi by the name of Abdullah. Now, Abdullah is an intriguing character, so some people don't really know if he existed or not because there is so little information about him. But Neville is very, very clear about the fact that he studied with Abdullah for five years. They studied Kabbalah and other forms of mysticism. Mm-hmm. And um, Ab- Abdullah helped Neville to train this ability within himself to uh, manipulate, if you, for lack of a better word, his conscious power and to create his uh, lived experience, to create the life that he was living. And Neville then, as a result of this work that he did with Abdullah, found that was birthed in him a ministry that enabled him to deliver this message in a totally unique way, in the sense that he was able to teach people how to do this for themselves, and they got Mm -hmm. results from it, 
or he was able to perform what we call the act of metaphysical prayer on behalf of someone else and for them to get results. So there are so many different testimonials about experiences people had working with Neville's philosophy and people really did single him out as being completely unique. And the thing about mm-hmm. Neville is that he didn't try to make a name for himself. He wasn't trying to be famous or uh, get a following or anything like that. In fact, he did tell his audience, don't deify me. He, would very, he was very reluctant to take photographs of people or to sign autographs because he was saying that I'm no different than you. I'm your brother. And we are all here waiting to have these um, experiences, these divinely appointed experiences. They're spiritual. And he was there able to teach people about the world, how the world operates, what we're all doing here, what our function is, what our role is, and how to fulfill that role. And I think people found um, meeting him and speaking with him and listening to him and learning from him a really transformative experience. Nobody left him the same, whether they liked him or they didn't like him. No one could deny that they felt something powerful happen within themselves. And this is one of the things I love about Neville Goddard and his story mm-hmm. endures. I think he's gone undergone something of a renaissance today. You know, he seems to be even more popular than he was when he was alive and on the scene. In reading your book and doing a little research on Neville, is that these are basic human principles that if we are together as one, we're brothers and sisters in some ways, we're the same species, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term, then everything falls into place. It makes sense. And so that's what's exciting about this conversation. As kids, we're searching for something, curiosity drivers, right? So Mm -hmm. was there a period in time that you were in this state of mind where, wow, everything makes sense? It's sort of like an epiphany of life that this is it right here. This is what you're looking for. Yeah, I mean, from about the age of, of 12, 13, I was saying to my parents, why do we have to go to church? Why do we have to go to church? And my parents were, were wondering what my problem was with it. And I just said, it didn't feel right. Okay, so like mm-hmm. as a child who reads a lot, there are books that speak to you and then there are books that don't. And I love the books, the stories that spoke to me, the stories that made me feel something. And although mm-hmm. I felt something when I read the Bible as a, a document in that sense, I I I didn't really understand it. And I would read other things. I I was a voracious reader. But when I came across Neville, that feeling that I got, you know, from the first moment, Mm -hmm. the earliest moments of reading his book, the first book I got from my mum was Five Lessons. And the first chapter, it spoke to me. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to continue with this. I read that book, I think, in probably two days. It's not a very long book. It's a short book. But I was absolutely hooked. I didn't realize that I had read it so quickly and I wanted to read it again because I didn't fully understand what I was reading. But there was a feeling that this is right. This man is speaking the truth. And I had nothing to base that on, only a very strong conviction and intuitive belief that this man was speaking the truth. And what I did straight away was I started to experiment with his ideas. I didn't really question what he was saying. I just dove in and started to practice and experiment with the techniques that he was uh, he had outlined in his books. And because I felt something, even though I wasn't getting the, the great results, um, so to speak, but I, mm-hmm. because I felt differently, I found myself um, viewing the world differently, viewing the people around me. I found myself losing the sense of um, anxiety that I'd been carrying around with me. 
I was invested and I was determined to get to the bottom of what he was saying and I was determined to make his philosophy work for me. Beautiful. What inspired you to write Infinite Possibility? So um, I've written, I've read, sorry, everything that Neville has ever written and I've listened to everything he's ever said that's available on audio, uh, in audio form. Mm -hmm. And what I did was I started to keep diaries and journals with the bits that I found most useful and things that I found most easy to replicate, the techniques that I found most easy to replicate. So initially it was very much for me, it was my um all-purpose quick reference guide it was the book that I wanted to be able to pick up whenever I needed it to go to a technique that I felt I could apply to some specific situation that was happening in the moment that sort of thing it wasn't really supposed to be a book that went out into the public initially but I showed it to my good friend Mitch and he really liked it, even though he was dubious about it being published. In fact, um, it was rejected by at first. But I said to Mitch, you know what, I believe this book is going to be published. And that in itself is a testament to what Neville talks about. You have this strong conviction that something is already done. And all you need to do, quite literally, is sit back and watch it happen. And so that's where the book came from. I felt that, you know, if this book is doing this, this great work in my own life, then it could possibly be of benefit and value to other people. And that actually became the vehicle by which I was able then to disseminate this message. Wonderful. Why should the readers read this book? I, I believe, I really do believe this, Johnny, that anybody who comes mm -hmm. to this book comes to it because they're ready to receive the message. So this isn't my idea, and it's not even Neville's idea. I believe that this information has been given by the creator to humanity. And it's just a question of this information being presented in a way that makes sense to people, that doesn't eliminate anyone or exclude anyone, and is something that people can practically apply. So I think that if you are picking up this book, it's because you're ready to make perhaps a discovery about yourself or to make a change in your life or that thing that you've been waiting for that you haven't quite been able to get your hand on. It's time for you to lay hold on it. And what this book does, it gives you not just the tools, but the means to guarantee that all of those objectives will be met. And the reason I say that is because it's not just about acquiring goodies or getting things for yourself. It's about making a discovery of who you truly are as a substantive being, what consciousness really means, what it really is, how it applies to you. And so you'll find that this book doesn't make any demands on the reader. It doesn't ask them to give up who they are, give up their culture or their system of belief, or to take on a new culture or a new system of belief. It just asks you to be yourself and to be open to change. And in doing that, in, uh, through the process of starting to live imaginatively, as uh, Neville and I put it, you will make this discovery. That's to say you will reestablish a connection between yourself as a human being, as you know and perceive yourself to be, and yourself, the infinite source of creation. And once that connection is made, then the sky's the limit. You can be used or you can, you yourself can use your life to achieve truly tremendous things in the service of humankind. And it, you spoke earlier on about us coming together. That's something that's, that's very, very important to me, that we recognize our unity as a global community. And this book will make it possible for absolutely anyone. Very, very interesting. What I got from reading the book is that it really speaks to 
us at different age. I wish I had this book about 30 years ago. (laughs) 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 It's like, gee, my trajectory in life would have been different, huh? So anyway, (laughs) what I got is this is the interesting part because you're never too young or too old to read this book. At the age where you're at, say, for example, if you're a young person, this will help you sort of really completely plan your trajectory in life the way that you want. And then for someone who's like me, looking back, it's a process of refinement. It's a moment of that hmm moment in thinking like, wow, I didn't realize that. And so it's not necessarily changing, but it's refining what I've already got. Time eventually, it's like you put a rose in the oven, eventually it gets cooked. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, <laughs> I'm in that process like, okay, great, but it's not too late to kind of add a little spice on it <laughs> to make yeah. it taste better before you start serving it. And so that's how I look at what this book can contribute to me and is currently contributing to me right now. How should the book be read? So in sequence, which seems fairly obvious, but what I would encourage people to do is to start at chapter one and to make sure that you're comfortable with the terminology, the vocabulary, and what Mm -hmm. is being asked of you as somebody who's coming to this as a student. So I would say, cast yourself in the role of a student who is going to learn something, and you will transition from student to master as you progress through the chapters. And I've arranged them so that they build on each other. So they start off quite easy and fun, they introduce the, the, the principles, the philosophy to you in a no-nonsense way. I've tried to keep the language as clean and as simple as possible, but you will find that by the time you're getting to six, seven, eight, you didn't, you wouldn't have noticed this, but certain shifts would have already taken place in you. You'll, you'll already have been comfortable with the idea that, yes, you have this whole other aspect of yourself that you haven't explored yet, but you're totally ready to explore it. You're getting to know yourself. And once you do that, then you start to get into the more um, challenging, if you like, aspects of this philosophy. For example, sort of being able to communicate with people without using physical forms of communication and all of that kind of thing, or going back into your past and changing an event that you didn't uh, you wish hadn't gone the way it had gone. And so this happens, I, I wouldn't recommend that, particularly somebody who's new to this philosophy, I wouldn't recommend that they jump ahead because they like the sound of something, but that mm-hmm. they work with the exercises in each chapter because they will be strengthening them every step of the, the way. And I just want to add, Johnny, that I don't want people to rush this book. It is easy to read and it is a quick read if you're familiar with this philosophy, but don't rush it. Take your time, enjoy yourself. I actually recommend spending about a week with an exercise until you feel completely confident about what you're doing, that you could do it with your eyes closed, quite literally, even though you <laughs> do close your eyes, you could do it without mm-hmm. thinking about it. Once you, um, you feel comfortable in that way, then move on to the next one. So read it in sequence and take your time. The book has been written in a way that I really love because you do have exercises that is easy to implement and help you build that sort of mythology in terms of layers that you are presenting within yourself on how to build yourself to this new you or refine you in this case. That's the beauty of the book. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple's iTunes, Switches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, and TuneIn Radio. I'm Johnny Tank, your host, and my guest for this morning is Catherine Jagetti. She is a British television presenter and an author with a background in science. 
Kate was first introduced to metaphysics as a teenager by her mother, a former yoga teacher and education specialist. She developed a penetrating and enduring fondness for the self-empowering teaching of Neville Goddard and remains steadfastly devoted to spreading his message today. We are having a wonderful conversation about her life's journey, her passion for humanity, and her book, Infinite Possibility. So, Kate, let's talk about the book itself. One of the things that is quite fascinating is your thoughts about prayer. So please share with us the art of prayer. Okay, so in uh, this context, prayer is akin to a meditative uh, experience or a meditative action that you take rather than speaking words um, to a deity that you cannot see or some object of worship. And what metaphysical prayer is, is psychological movement. So you immobilize your body, and in, in doing that, you are able to operate as mind. You cannot operate as your mind if your body's moving. So I recommend that you sit in a chair or you lie down on the bed or some on some comfortable surface. And then you close your eyes. And the purpose of closing your eyes is to shut out the evidence of the world around you. So what people will find in... In, uh, in the main is that what they are trying to do is to bring into their world something that they think that they need. And if you are looking around you, you can see that you don't have it. So by closing your eyes, you're shutting out that evidence. So as you're operating as mind, you're going to move through space, through the infinite, using the signposts of feeling until you contact the thing you desire. Now, what how feeling guides you is that if you bring the thought to your mind of the thing you want, you will either feel one of two things. You'll either initially feel anxious about it because you, you think I really, really want it, or you'll feel excited. And what I encourage people to do is that if they feel anxious, they then start to ask themselves questions like, how would I feel if this thing were mine? And hopefully notice that they're shifting towards excitement from excitement, as it builds, you want to move into persuading yourself that this thing is possible for you. So you're moving, you're, you're being guided by another signpost now, and this, this feeling is possession. When you get to the feeling of possession, what you want to do is to move from anxiety, which is what happens when you become aware that you want something. You want to move towards excitement, which is indicating to you that this thing is yours or possible for you. And then you want to move to possession. And that's where you consent to this thing being yours. You start to imagine yourself living as though this thing were, were yours. And what you want to do in the mental state is to enter into the image of this thing being done. So you see yourself performing performing some task as with having whatever it might be, this thing that you're after. Now, I do say to people that you do need to go very, very deep into this meditative state. It's, a, it's almost a trance-like state. It's a state recognized in the world of psychology by the term hypnagogia. And it's the state that we're in just before we fall asleep. So you're completely relaxed. And as you begin to play with this um, this image of you having being doing the thing that you're after, you will find a very pleasurable sensation starts to build in your physical body at the point of an explosion, as Neville describes it. And I go into detail in the book. 
you will have contacted, you will have made contact with the thing you are looking for. And then what you do is you just bring yourself back to the surface. And I guide people through that. You start by moving your toes, moving your extremities, breathing, breathing deeply until you find yourself returning to the surface. After that has happened, you just go about your normal life, but entertaining this happy feeling that what you just did is going to bear fruit. And the thing to the way to safeguard yourself against disappointment is to keep this absolutely secret. I cannot emphasize this strongly enough. This is not something that you want to discuss with other people. You don't want to allow any doubt to creep in your mind. You're just going to go about your normal everyday life and wait for this thing to put in its appearance. So that's the process of metaphysical prayer. It's not speaking. It's moving through feeling until you contact the thing that you want. And then you consent to it becoming a reality in your life. Fascinating. There's no timeline in terms of, well, is it going to be tomorrow, the next day, next week or next year? But what I gather in reading that portion of the book is that power of concentration. These are the things that actually we all have experienced in our own little way at layman's term in some ways, studying for an exam, for example. How do you know what they're going to ask? You tap into that sort of a state whereby I'm equipping myself with certain things and or envisioning would be the best way to put it. And I say this based on my personal experience from an artistic standpoint of view. I'm a ballroom dancer, a ballroom instructor and performer. And so I visualize the entire layout and how I'm going to present and which part I'm going to turn and so forth. On the day I'm performing, I don't even think about it anymore, I guess, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's the thing that's very important for people to um, to note is that you're operating as the formless. You're operating as consciousness when you're when you go through these mental processes. And um, this is what I help people to do. I'm very careful about the language that I use, but mm-hmm. I guide them through the process very, very uh, uh, in detail so that they're not left trying to figure out what step to take next. But that's it. We're going through these mental processes. And when you're doing that, you're operating as consciousness, which is the source of everything. So you're setting up that thing actually happening. You're setting up that thing becoming a reality for you. Wonderful. One of the things you talk about in the book is our emotional stage is responsible for the conditioning of our lives. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yes. So um, emotions, as most people will be aware are any number of feelings, joy, fear, happiness, and all of that. So whatever it is that you're feeling is going to make an impression on consciousness. So this is the language by which we communicate from our humanity to this infinite source of consciousness, the source of everything that exists. And it is these communications that determine what happens for us, because these are the things that are going to, these feelings are the, the way in which we contact the physical conditions, although they are not in physical form, we navigate through feeling. And once we've made contact with something, that thing has to show up in our lives. Now, what I want to say to people, I just want to um, insert this here, Johnny, that this is um, something that you need to know by experience, because I have not invested in establishing or understanding for myself how this thing works. In fact, Neville says it's not given to us to know how it works. We have to prove it through, through testing. We prove it for ourselves 
through the testing. So what I do is I just tell you what happens. I don't explain necessarily how it happens. I don't try to offer sort of a quantum physics sure, explanation for things. So if right. you think about it, if you're yes, if you're feeling really, really good and you contact the, the conditions that um, align with that feeling, you're going to have good experiences. Now, there are far too many variables in nature for us to try to define what those experiences are going to look like. You, you only know that they're going to be beneficial to you in some way and mutually beneficial to others. If you're angry, if you're hateful, if you live in a pitiful state, your conditions, the circumstances of your life are going to mirror that back to you or confirm that that is the way you feel. We speak to consciousness through our feelings and the answer we get are the physical conditions that surround us. What you're talking about in terms of what are we creating, the kind of energy that is sort of encapsulating us in a way. Absolutely, So our yes. emotional state, that's what we're creating. I completely agree with you. A simple exercise would be, if you think about it, it doesn't matter what state of mind you're in, when you smile, smiling shows happiness. That's a certain thing that happens in your body that sort of like all of a sudden you're in a different mental state because when you smile, it just creates, even for that tiny moment, a sense of happiness in a way. Absolutely. And that's, I really, I'm really glad you mentioned that because one of the, the principles or the, under, the fundamental principles of metaphysics is this idea of detachment. And detachment is not as com complicated as it seems. But if you think about it, if you are happy in that moment, you cannot be anything else other than happy. And so you let go of all of the things that make you unhappy. What happens is that we so often return to the things that make us unhappy. But as you're saying, in that moment, you are going to create happiness for yourself. And it's just a question of persisting in that until it becomes your your natural way of living and I live like that you know I detach mm -hmm. from things that make me unhappy and I stay happy in the moment all the time so I'm perpetually happy and that's something that I I try to implement in my life every single day and I find it working for me and the, the, the beautiful thing is that when I don't and things start to go wrong I am able to see that strong connection between what I'm feeling and what I'm experiencing. And these are the kind of things that people can start to notice if they find any of this difficult to believe. Just start to notice how what you experience lines up with what you're doing in the moment. So true. In the book, you talk about changing memories of past events. If we change memories of the past, are we living in denial? I don't think so because, well, I'd say no, because all of our experiences are imagined anyway. So if you think about who you were in the past, you would have had a certain amount of experiences that informed the decisions you took or the actions you took at that point. Many of us, knowing what we know now, wouldn't have done what we did in the past. And that's right. something you hear said so often. And if you wouldn't have done that, knowing what you know now, and that where you are now is just the continuum on the on the timeline of your life then i believe you have every right to live to change the events of the past to to live them as you wish they had been lived and all that happens is that it brings your present into alignment with the present that you would have had had that event gone that way so it's up entirely up to you it doesn't really matter what anyone thinks about that it's absolutely not living in denial. If you know that you wouldn't have done something back then, knowing what you know now, now then you have absolutely, the, you have every right to change what you did back then. 
And it's a purely imaginative experience. But what it does is that it, it frees you very often. Sometimes people can't get over things like grief or some other form of right. trauma or the breakdown of a, of a relationship. You're not going to physically change the events of the past. You're going to persuade yourself in imagination that things had gone differently. And you will find that you open up to a whole new realm of possibilities for yourself in doing that. And I, it's a right that everybody should avail themselves of. Something just came to mind. One of my moms, she is this perpetual, happy, and very progressive person. She would mm-hmm. tell me, and the good news is... <laughs> I, like, I don't see any good news. <laughs> and that's right, because it's a mental shift. Absolutely. That's what we're talking about here. And this is the, the um, thing, the beauty of this work. It's your understanding that it, these are concepts that a lot of us are already familiar with. We're just not using them properly. And what I'm trying to do is redress that balance and level the playing field. How is God and man a one? So we are obviously individualized in human form. But our consciousness is the thing that unifies us with God. So if you think of God as being the source creation of everything, we, when we're born into human form, we don't lose that nature of ourselves. We have to become the same substance of God. If you think about a human baby being made from the cells of its mother, I mean, the egg is produced by the mother's body and that egg, once it's fertilized, turns into an individual all its own. It is still nonetheless part of the woman that gave birth to it. And in very much in that way, I think that uh, process of, of human uh, of birth, if you like, typifies our relationship to God. We are born of the same substance of consciousness. We all have a human imagination and that is God. That's what we're talking about here. So in this context, our unity with God is the result of our possession of consciousness. Very, very interesting. How about what is subjective control? Okay, so subjective control, if you think about yourself as a dual being, you have an outer being that you're aware of and an infinite being or a conscious being that you're aware of. We have five senses and it's through these senses that we engage the physical world around us. We have subjective senses as well. And it's those subjective senses that we use to engage the mental world. And so what subjective control does is that it enables us to use those mental senses to do something. So in the book, I describe subjective control in the context of communicating with other people. And this is a very, very useful skill for anybody to develop, particularly people who are in relationships that they feel they cannot navigate their way out of if they need to or cannot make better for some reason. There are some people that you're just not going to be able to break through to, no matter your argument no matter how convincing or persuasive it is or no matter whatever outward action you take. And what you do is you use your ability to speak mentally to that person and to communicate directly with them. And you're not taking any outward action. You're speaking with them. You're telling them what you are trying to say, the thing that they won't hear. This is just one example of using it. Mm -hmm. But what it is is that faculty of us that enables us to make contact with each other without taking outward action. So you're going to use your um, mental ability to hear and to speak and to communicate and just watch and see how their behavior changes. I'm already uh, 
helping a young woman who is in um, a difficult home life situation. It's wonderful to hear her using this growing in uh, confidence and reporting mm -hmm. back to me how things are changing. And I really encourage people who are already, particularly those already familiar with this work, who find that they cannot make any headway by taking outward action or saying something outwardly to use subjective control. It enables us to do anything that we need to do. It's not about manipulating someone or robbing them of their right to make choices for themselves, but it is the perfect way to make a mutual agreement because substantively we are beings of love and we want each other's highest good all of us do no matter what uh, it the picture seems to be it, it does appear mm -hmm. that this world is a world of intimate hostilities all all over the place <laughs> but at source we all want each other's uh, highest good what we are confused by are the roles that we play and that disconnect between consciousness and our human form so if you forget about what the other person looks like who they are to you in relation to you as a human being and speak to them one-on-one -on -one as a as a unified part of yourself you're going to be able to achieve your objective wonderful fantastic you're listening to from my mama's kitchen talk radio our podcasts are available on apple's itunes stitches radio blueberry podcasting and TuneIn radio my guest is katherine jagetti she is a british television presenter and an author with a background in science kate was first introduced to metaphysics as a teenager by her mother, a former yoga teacher and education specialist. She developed a penetrating and enduring fondness for the self-empowering teachings of Neville Goddard, and she remains just as steadfastly devoted to spreading his message today. We're having a conversation about her life's journey, her passion for humanity, and her book, Infinite Possibility. I'm your host, Johnny Tan. Kate, let's talk about repentance. This is something that's important that you mentioned in the book, and just tell us how important that is. So one of the things uh, to mention before I talk about repentance itself is that mm -hmm. very often, in, in particularly with Neville's teachings, the words like repentance have a different meaning to the meaning you may find in any dictionary. So I think repentance is... Um, to do with regret or remorse in a metaphysical context it doesn't context it doesn't mean that repentance means letting go and turning away from something and we perform repentance in different ways it's another form of detachment if you like but perhaps more specifically deals with the events of the past so if you think about something that's happened to you before that you were very unhappy with and cannot seem to move past repentance is the ability to go back through feeling and to detach from it by the act of revision that I described before in which you replay something, um, an event that you were unhappy with in the way that you wish it, had, wish it had gone instead. So that's all repentance is. It's not a complicated concept. It's about mm -hmm. freeing yourself of the burden of things that have happened in the past that you may feel you can do nothing about. Now, Neville says something um, wonderful about uh, about repentance and which has just slipped me so I'll move on <laughs> I just, 
<laughs> Sorry, but well, the beautiful thing about repentance is that it opens. Ah, oh, I remember now. So he was saying that until we repent of the events of the past, we cannot be free from its evil, if you like, or its um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. inherent effect. It's it's going to keep having an effect no matter what it is you're trying to do to improve or to change your life. This thing is going to keep having an effect on you. So what you need to do is to free yourself from it by actually uh, killing all feeling that you have relative to it. And once you've done that, you have repented, you've let it go, and then you're free to turn away from it and get on with the rest of your life. Beautiful. It's basically getting up each morning with a brand new sheet of paper. Yes, absolutely. I like that. Yeah, that's what I gathered when I read it. If not, you have yourself anchored down to something in the past. By definition, your future journey is sort of off alignment, for like a better term. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's amazing. Is manifestation a result of impression and expression? And I love the way you explain it in the book, but I just wanted to clarify manifestation as a result of impression and expression. Absolutely. That's what it is. So if you think about impression being the starting point and the expression or the being the end point, the manifestation itself. So once you've communicated to uh, consciousness what it is that you are consenting to, because people need to be clear that desires are not things that you want in this context and in the way that we teach metaphysics, that's to say Neville and myself, what we're saying is that a desire is an awareness that something has become available to you and it's seeking activation through your consent to it becoming a part of your world and you achieve all of that by feeling and I explain all of that in the book. But you're absolutely correct. If you think about it, once the impression has been made, something goes on and the expression is the manifestation or that desire taking on physical reality. Interesting. If success is a state of consciousness, then is failure just a myth? Um, no, it's, it's, it's the opposite of, of success, if you like. Therefore, mm-hmm. it's an equally tangible state of consciousness. So if you think about it, there is no problem with consciousness consciousness just is it doesn't have any um it's it doesn't have any uh, context or framing it it, is just it just is and so we impress upon that uh, any number of states at any given time and it's entirely possible to impress failure onto uh consciousness just as we would success it's just a question of being clear about what the requirements of the process you're going through are and safeguarding against failure. Um, Failure really is um, missing or or not meeting those requirements sufficiently, but people can persuade themselves of failure even before they uh, perform the, uh, the act of metaphysical prayer. And they do that in different ways. One of the most common ways is not believing that the thing thereafter is possible for them. So that's one of the things I encourage people to do and have been doing on Facebook recently is telling people, just play with the idea that this thing is possible for you because if you don't do that, the feeling you have is that it's not possible and you have guaranteed your failure. So you're saying that this process will help a person by nature who is not necessarily motivated, but we come in two different sort of a state of mind, so to speak. There are people that are perpetual optimists, and there are people mm-hmm. that are basically a pessimist. The glass is always half empty. Mm-hmm. 
that's very, very true. And, and people do get beaten down by the conditions of life and they find certain things hard to believe. So if you don't believe that something is possible for you, then you've already sort of shut yourself out from it, if you like. It is possible, though, for anybody to discipline themselves to be someone who impresses success or onto what they're doing. It's possible mm-hmm. for anyone to overcome that attitude of failure, but it is very much Um, a starting point for a great deal of people and that's something to be aware of not to become sort of negative or suspicious of the process but to check in with yourself and and to have an understanding of who you are so who you are as a starting point will determine how you relate to this material absolutely with that in mind coming back to the subjective consciousness being able to talk to ourselves subjective control can we do that Mm -hmm. or should we do that Absolutely. And and I encourage people rather than to sort of um, repeat some phrase or to Mm -hmm. say something to yourself, I encourage people to start playing mentally with images. So you're trying on a new lifestyle for size. And I guide people into how to get into that trance state and how deep to go. And to, to and I also tell them what physical phenomena to look out for, how they should feel to give them an indication that they're doing it in the right way. But they absolutely must start to have a conversation with themselves, this mental conversation, start to mm-hmm. do something that indicates that the thing they're looking for is not only possible for them, but true as well. Terrific. What is your take on fear? I find fear to be a very destabilizing uh, emotion. Um, My take on it is that it happens as a result of trying to make things happen without any evidence that it can happen. Um, I think fear is... It's a difficult one I, because I'm not a fearful person, so I'm really <laughs> unclear about how to define it. I, I mean that in, in all sincerity. Yeah. When I when yeah. I say you're trying to you're trying to make something happen, it's, it's it's a force of will. I think people react in the physical when they yeah. are afraid because they are trying to secure their safety using the means that they know. And I think if you're fearful, you're not going to be open to trying different techniques to get things. I just think it's a very destabilizing emotion. And it's unhelpful. And so um, what I do is encourage people to experiment with their imagination. I've been living this way for such a long time. It seems strange that I cannot clearly define for your audience, Johnny, (laughs) what fear is. But I really have no relationship with it. I don't. I would just say it's a destabilizing emotion and it's easy Mm -hmm. to overcome. That's how I would. (laughs) That's my take on it. Once you start living imaginatively. I agree in what you just said because all our decisions are governed by two separate but equal forces, love or fear. So if you look through the lens of fear, you're looking at yourself. And you talk about, in a way, you're looking in the mirror. And what you see is yourself. However, when you look through the lens of love, and this is interesting because quit looking at yourself for a moment. You look at your husband, your child, your loved ones. What do you see? Absolutely. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so you don't see fear. If that sort of in a roundabout way, hope it makes sense. So there's a process of transference in a way. Yes, it's it's this unease with the unknown. And I think once you start living imaginatively, you become connected to everything. And so nothing is unknown to you. And I think that's mm-hmm. where the 
fear starts to dissipate and disappear. Right. Like you're saying, you look at those you know, and you love them. And people can look at strangers and be suspicious of their motives or whatever, and fear can, trigger, can be triggered inside of them. And so this is where I think um, my relationship with fear has ended because I live imaginatively and have done so for such a long time. Right. And then when you look back in the mirror again, all you see is love. I love who I am. I love the way I look. Then yes. it's a conscious state of mind. That's not to say that you are fearless because that's a totally different sense of word here to be used. <laughs> what I'm trying to say here, like some people say they're fearless, but then it could be in the sense that if you're fearless, then you love nothing. That's not what it is. Yeah, I understand. No, it isn't. I'm glad you made that <laughs> distinction, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's critical here. But you're looking in the mirror at fear, or are you looking in the mirror through the lens of love? Absolutely, because as I say um, all the time is that we, we experience what we are. And so mm -hmm. if what you see is love, that's what you're going to experience. Right. Can you share with us some personal stories that encapsulate infinite possibility? Um, I think... I mean, I, I am somebody like this, talking about this love or this love and mm -hmm. fear kind of experience that we have day to day. Um, I'm somebody who's very unapologetic about the way that consciousness works for me and, and works in my life. I um, am self-employed. I do this work. I'm an author. I'm going to be doing some public speaking and all that kind of things. And, but I'm really, really bad at, at things like staying on top of a bureaucracy, a bureaucratic matters, if you like. So <laughs> I always get surprised with these really horrendous tax bills. And I think, where did that come from? <laughs> well, I had, a, I had a tax bill and um, I thought, oh my goodness, what's this? And I, I didn't know what it was. And I, I called the tax office and I, I'm really sorry. I don't, I don't know what to do, but I'm not afraid of it. I just say, this is okay. This is going to be okay. And I was in Belgium and heading back to London and I got a phone call from the tax office to say, oh, we're writing off that bill. Now, some people might say, well, that's not fair. You know, other people have to mm -hmm. pay their taxes. I do pay my taxes and I, and I work hard <laughs> and I do pay my fair share. But I didn't think, um, I, I wasn't worried about this thing. I just said, this is okay. And I had the conviction that this is okay. And that could have been that the money for me to pay that bill showed up or it was made available to me or whatever, or the bill disappeared. I don't control how imagination works for me, but I just live like that. I instantly go within. And anything that I do, I go within first. And I mm -hmm. check up on the feeling. How am I feeling about this? Am I anxious about this? Or am I going to contact the feeling of this being okay? And it happens time and time again. Someone very close to me that I love very dearly needed um, a medical procedure. Um, and it was a huge amount of money, money that my husband and I didn't immediately have available to us and it's all taken care of I just said to the person you know what this is okay and help came from the blue sky it really did somebody said okay I'm going to give you this money and this is how you we're going to split the bill and you're going to pay me back in the you know in these in this way that made mm -hmm. it possible for me to meet that person's need there are just so many examples the book infinite possibility when I was told no this is this book can't be published this is not the type of book a publisher like Penguin would take on I said I know that the book is already published 
And the next thing I know, I was given a publishing contract. So I, I live like that and I encourage other people to live like that. I've been like that since I was a child. I grew up watching my mother do that. In my second book, I share a wonderful story about how we got our first house as a family and, mm-hmm. and, it, and all of this kind of thing. So I, I just say there are almost too many stories for me <laughs> to express what's happening. But what the, um, in a nutshell, Johnny, Infinite mm-hmm. possibility is when you are connected to the source of creation, anything becomes possible because you're creating that possibility. You're not limited to what the, the, the evidence, your evidence tells you the possibilities are. The possibilities become infinite for you. So true. Where can someone go to buy your book, get more information about you and keep up with your latest happenings? So um, the book is available on Amazon and in most bookstores, Barnes & Noble and all of that sort of thing. If you go to penguinrandomhouse.com and search for me, Catherine Jagetti, um, you'll be able to find information about everywhere the book is available, amazon.com and .co.uk and so on. It's all available around the world. But if they want to keep up with me, Facebook is the best way. I'm currently using um, facebook.com forward slash Catherine Jagetti author. That's all one word. And they can connect with me send me messages. I'm trying to get through all the messages, um, but I'm very, very happy if they can give me a day or two to get back to them. I'm happy to help people answer questions and take it from there. Fantastic. So what's next for you? Currently uh, working hard to finish my second book, and I've got some exciting projects coming up in the new year, which unfortunately I can't say much about now, but I will be posting information on uh, Facebook about, so I, I can't wait. One of the things I'm really excited about is that I'm going to be getting out and about and meeting people face-to-face, taking their questions, and helping them to really get to grips with this philosophy and the processes involved. Fantastic. As we close the show... Since our show is about people, family, and living life, what would you like to share as a recipe for living with our listeners this morning? So the, the recipe I live by is start your day well, well and end your day well. So some people are familiar with things like affirmations or whatever. I don't use those personally, but you can do what you were saying before, Johnny. Look in the mirror and say something wonderful for yourself. A state a, a wonderful intention and expectation for your day. And then when you go to sleep, don't just sleep any old how. Make sure you unwind from the day and then sleep in a very positive mood. So start the day well and end the day well. No matter what happens in between, you'll find that that usually ends up being well as well. (laughs) Fantastic. Well, Kate, thank you for the great recipe for living and for spending this hour with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me next Tuesday morning, July 17. My guest will be Karen No. She is the founder of the Angel Quest Center in New Jersey an internationally sought-after medium, spiritual counselor, healer, and best-selling author. Karen and I will be having a conversation about her life's journey and the keys to experiencing the divinity within us from her latest book, We Consciousness, 33 Profound Truths of Inner and Outer Peace. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to fmmktalkradio.com. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed week. Kate, it has been a true pleasure. Thank you again, and have a blessed day. Thank you, Johnny. I had a great time. Thank you. Bye-bye.
When your battery goes dead, everything can come to a stop. Don't take a chance on getting stranded. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and get your battery tested free of charge. If your battery does need to be replaced, O'Reilly Auto Parts can help you find the exact superstar battery that fits your car or truck at a guaranteed low price. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We've reimagined our space to help you maximize yours. Come discover the next generation container store at Northwest Highway and 75. From easier to shop aisles to our amazing custom closet design center, it's a whole new experience. So get ready to master the space lurking under your bed and hiding in cramped drawers and closets. Get ready to discover the next generation container store at Northwest Highway. The container store, where space comes from. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.